0: I'm just so grateful because I get to just miss my husband. I don't get to miss my husband and my house and the income. And you know what I mean? Like so many people, women like later would hit me up and just say, my husband died and I lost my house too. And I can't afford the car. And I don't know how I'm going to survive. Hello.
1: Hello, financial feminists. Welcome back to the show. I am Tori Dunlap, your hostess with the mostest, and we are so grateful to have you here. We are so excited for Tiffany Aliche to return to the show. She is our first ever returning guest. And if you've been with us since season one or you're one of those like extra credit new listeners who are going through our 90 something episode back catalog, you are going to recognize her. Her episode is one of our most popular and she was like the original 12 episode first season run. And we're just so excited to have her back. Tiffany, the Bajanista Alice, is an award winning teacher of financial education and author of the New York Times best selling book, Get Good with Money. Through her company, the Bajanista, Tiffany has created a financial movement that has helped over 2 million women worldwide collectively save more than $350 million, pay off over $200 million in debt, purchase homes, and transform the way they think about their finances. These women that participate in this global Live Richer movement call themselves Dreamcatchers. We caught up with Tiffany on what has been a huge year, a lot of years of change since we had her on the show way back in 2021, which was only on calendar two years ago, but somehow feels like 10. In that time, she has starred in a Netflix show, grew a ton as a business owner, but also experienced the heartbreaking and unexpected loss of her husband. We talk about her life over the last few years and about how the loss of her husband changed the way she saw not only her day-to-day life, but also how she runs her business and what she hopes for her future in her rich auntie era. We spent some time talking about the process after losing her husband, including what she's grateful she had in place and what she wishes she had known in the aftermath. Tiffany is such an incredible person and educator. I want to say personally, she has been such an advocate for my work and the work of her first 100K. She sat down with me multiple times in the launch of my book, Financial Feminist, and was so transparent about how to launch a book, what she had learned, literally was just so giving of her time and energy and continues to be. And she was just so beautifully vulnerable in this episode. This loss was extremely unexpected, came out of nowhere. And completely not only changed her life, but changed the course of her business and her experience. And I just feel for her as a friend, but also just appreciate that she was willing to come on and share this. It's incredibly important information about losing a loved one, about navigating that experience, both from a financial standpoint, but also just personally. And if you aren't sure what to do next or how to proceed after loss or your grief is just feels really heavy hopefully this will feel really comforting to you right now. We are so grateful for her authenticity and openness. And we talk about a lot of other things besides grief in this episode. So please, this is one that is so worth your listen. And thanks for being here. Let's get into it. But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you still in Jersey? Mm-hmm. I, should, I actually just bought a condo cash. We could talk about that too, girl. Oh, that's
0: amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: D- where, like, how big? What was that?
0: What was what did that look like for you? Yeah, I, I bought this beautiful, so I live in a historic district in Newark, which I love but living in Newark. And I the house I owned, I purchased it cash and renovated it cash, so there's no mortgage. And I said, I don't really want to live in a house anymore. And there's just so many memories here, which are beautiful memories, but every day, because since we, my husband and I renovated it, and so my sister lives down the street with her two kids. And I was like, he and I always talked about when my stepdaughter went to college, that we would move someplace else and that they could live here because their school is down the street. And so she's going to move in here with the kids. So I'll still be here all the time. So I see them all the time. And then, but I found this beautiful historic, because I love an old building, beautiful historic, a hundred year old building. The condo is 2,800 square feet. It's Four and a half bedrooms, three and a half bath. It is gorgeous. It is, it is like 1920s luxury. It is so beautiful and gorgeous. And so I purchased it. It was $520. And although my financial advisor was like, do not buy cash, Tiffany, she knows me. I'm a nervous Nelly. I don't like having bills, monthly bills. I bought it cash. I mean, cause I'm like, I have plenty. <laughs> I purchased it cash. So.
1: And I didn't expect to ask you about this, but that's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize is this concept of debt versus leverage, right? Yeah. And debt, of course, is, you know, for, okay, for lower income people or for like, you know, the common person and Mm -hmm. debt is bad. But when you get to a certain like level of wealth, financial independence, actually debt can be a good thing. And then it's called leverage, right? So it's called something different depending on
0: who's doing it, which is so fucked. Here's the thing about personal finances. They're personal. And, you know, there are times when I know that logically it would have been better for me to hold on to the half a million dollars and then put it in the market. But I already put literally I live off of 10 percent of what I make. I already put so much. It'd be one thing if I'm not putting anything. Into the, I put so much into the market. So I have to ask myself, like, although it would make more sense to put this half a million into the market, let it generate income. But how do you feel, Tiffany? Totally. You know, and I like the condo has an HOA fee of like twelve or thirteen hundred and plus taxes. So it's gonna be additional two thousand dollars a month, which is not like a ton of money. But on top of that, I was like, I also don't want another twenty five hundred dollar mortgage to go from no monthly income for housing to five thousand dollars a month. It just, you know, like I it just didn't sit well. And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to do this even though I know the financial component says this but my emotional financial component says this would make me feel better and if I'm feeling um stable later not stable not I'm not stable but if I'm feeling better later I can do a cash out refi when interest rates are, you know, more reasonable cuz also the interest rates weren't that great so I'm like who's trying to owe when the interest rates were 7% when I purchased it? you know and so I could do a cash out refi pull two three hundred thousand dollars out pay the mortgage on that and then put the money in the market so it's not like the money is lost to me so yes i mean sometimes you make choices you know that you know make financial sense for you and that's okay totally
1: yeah and especially with you you have the financial flexibility to be able to make those choices totally Tiffany, I'm so excited to have you back. You are our first repeat guest on this show. Really? Yes. I am so appreciative of your friendship and your advice as a business owner and a financial expert. And it was your episode was so well received by our community. So we're just really excited to have you back. We started asking this question in season two for our money experts. And I wanted to ask you what your first money memory is. What is the first time you can remember thinking about money?
0: The first money memory I had was I had to been like four or five. And I remember that I had this obsession with running the water in the house. I don't know why. Like, I guess I was feng shui before. I know. Like, and my dad would be so mad because I would go into the bathroom, turn on the water, like on the faucet. And then he'd be like, you can't do that. I'm like, I am and I will. And I will throw a temper tantrum if you turn it off. So, <laughs> so they were like, what do we do with this Tiffany? Um And so, but we, I, I'm one of five girls. We didn't grow up with a ton of money like most folks. And. The parents are immigrants from Nigeria. But during the summertime, one of the pleasures of the summertime was that you could get ice cream from the ice cream truck, which is about a dollar. And But because there were five of us, um, he couldn't do five dollars every single time. So he would let us rotate, you know, like, and like, oh, it's your turn. And then it's your turn. But then the other daughters would go in the house and get ice cream from the freezer. You know, like my mom always like would get the ice cream cones. And so it's not like you didn't get ice cream. You just didn't get like from the truck. And he, my dad, my dad, so my just so you know, my dad is a um he's retired now, but he's got his uh bachelor's in finance, his master's in economics. He's my first financial teacher. He was a CFO, an accountant, all the things. And so he figured out quickly how do I tie my financial desires of lowering the water bill with Tiffany's financial desires of getting ice cream. So one day it was my turn. I heard the ice cream man coming. Ran in the house, said, Daddy, it's my day. Can I have my dollar? The ice cream man is coming. And he said, you just missed the water man. And I was like, I don't care about him. I need my dollar. And he was like, no, every time you run the water, we have to pay the water man. And I was like, okay. And he was like, well, I didn't have any money. So I had to give him your ice cream dollar. I had a heart attack (laughs) I heart attack. I said, but I don't, I, don't, I don't, wait, what? And he said, yeah, that's why I was trying to tell you not to keep the water running because the waterman had to come and, and get your dollar. Do you know to this day I still don't like running water too long?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> the waterman's going to come and take what? your money.
0: But how genius was that? Instead of yelling at me, Spanking me, whatever. He was like, her financial goals don't align with mine, but I know how to do so. Ice cream is her financial goal. And if I make my financial goal of the water bill, the ice cream bill, bet you she stopped. (laughs) I mean, I stopped so fast. It was to the point where I told my sister, turn the water off.
1: (laughs) Right. You're like, I'm not showering for weeks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that was my first like, uh, memory, um, of money. That like you know that the choices you make have consequences. So that was like the lesson that I learned. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's really about like value based spending. Like yes. yes, you need water. That is a necessity. <laughs> let me be clear. But also like what we talk about all the time is like budgets are not deprivation tools. Right? They're the thing that you do in order to say, oh, I can afford this. Right. And like, I'm not going to spend money on this. So I can spend money on the things that I really love, you know, and for you, it's like ice cream. It's like, how much ice cream can I get? Okay. That might mean, you know, I'm not spending my money somewhere else so I can get the thing that I really want. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Last time you joined us, we talked about the un and unbanked community in the United Mm -hmm. States and specifically how that affects people of color. Mm -hmm. What has changed since we had that discussion in 2021, if anything?
0: Honestly, I feel like it just always gets worse for people who are already disenfranchised. What I've seen change in the community is that there are way more people helping, which I, you know, I'm I'm glad for. Like I've never seen more people of color like in the financial education space, which is great, but the numbers are not shifting in the background. If anything, net worth is down. Still struggling with the fact that there's this racial wealth gap largely due to home ownership and that has not increased, especially now with interest rates so high, and and also too, like, it's, it's not like people are making more money, you know, whenever they show the stats of, you know, for every dollar that a man makes, you know, every woman makes, you know, 75 cents. What they mean is every white woman makes 75 cents. For Black women, it's less. For Native American women, it's even less. For Spanish women, it's even less. And so those things have not shifted. But what gives me some hope is that The fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs are women of color, specifically black women, because you start to understand that, like, I actually have to be the change. No one is going to come save me like, you know, no one is going to come save me. So I love that that shift is happening, that there is a shift as it relates to black women seeing an increase as a result of them saying, you know what? I'm going to create my own opportunities. And so, and we all know that when women have opportunities, they tend to give more opportunities to other women. So I'm hoping that that will, because small business is still the back, the financial backbone of the United States. And so if we can permeate small business, I think we can, we can shift the trajectory of poor people getting poorer and disenfranchised people getting even more disenfranchised.
1: And I think you realize at some point that like, yes, we're all participating in the system, right? And we also understand that the system needs to change at the same time. So I think like one of the easiest things that we can do actively to start changing things is like, you know, creating our own table, building our own table, whether that's a business or, you know, some sort of uh, like a DEI community in your company, but like, as opposed to, you know, working to continue to build a table that is already broken. It's like, yes. okay, how do we build our own in the hopes of repairing, you know, all of the tables, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to, k- trying to keep the metaphor going.
0: But like it's- <laughs> No, but I understand what you mean because the yeah. truth of the matter is I was going to be a preschool teacher for the rest of my life. That was the plan. I was like, I love teaching. I love the babies, you know, and then you know, the recession shifted that plan and I was fortunate to stumble onto entrepreneurship. But, I, you know, I am like, you. that's why I love how you own, because I used to be shy about saying I'm a millionaire and I'd be like, oh, I'm a baby millionaire. What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like, are you a millionaire or you're not? I'm like, so now I'm like, no, I'm mm-hmm. a big girl. Mil- I'm a, I am a multimillionaire, you know? And so, uh, it, but that, I don't know that that happens for preschool teacher Tiffany, at least not at this age. Right. You know, that maybe, you know, with like cuz I was a good saver and I did like tutoring and babysitting on the side and maybe by the time I retired I would have been a millionaire, but certainly not by 37 is when I became, you know, a millionaire. I I I lost my job when I was like 29, 30 and then 37. It took me, you know, um some time to to get my businesses together to where I could figure out how to make money. But I don't know that happens for preschool teacher Tiffany and so but as a result, I have been able to help so many other women. I, a friend of mine the other day, she always says, I'll go to view my mentor. And I'm like, girl, I'm not your mentor. Until so she was like, uh, when I met you, do you know I was negative six figures in my business? And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, we talked about her business a lot. And we met up regularly because she had all these questions. And she was like, then, uh, two years later, I met 2.5 million. I was like, what the hell did I say? <laughs> no, but I mean, I know we, I mean, we talk, but I just, that's what this type of success allows you to do. Is that now, because of the knowledge and the access and things like that, I then now pour into, especially other women. But this is what I know, and I've since helped so many other women grow their businesses to six figures and beyond.
1: I didn't plan on talking about this with you, but I—you unlocked something for me, something that I'm kind of struggling with lately. I am very transparent of, you know, my financial journey, like Mm -hmm. started with my 100K, right? Obviously that 100K came from me doing corporate, right? I was saving a percentage of my corporate pay, but it was also because her first 100K was starting to make some money Mm -hmm. and I was able to save that, right? That was my side hustle. And then I went from 100K to being a millionaire in, oh gosh, a year and a half. That's crazy. Like it happened quick. yeah. And it's really difficult for me because I am, I very much acknowledge, like you just did, that like I would not have gotten there as quickly as I did had I not started a business. Now, I took on a lot of risk to do that. There was a lot of work that went into it, right? There's also this level of like, some people just don't want to be entrepreneurs and you can become financially stable. It just might take you longer. And I'm trying to figure out the balance between being like, yeah, entrepreneurship was kind of the thing for me. And if you want to do it that quickly, that might be the only way to do it. But also there's a ton of people who don't end up making it as entrepreneurs, right? Or who don't want to do that. And it's like, it's it's very nuanced as all of these things are with like, how do I continue to give people hope for their current situation or for, you know, a possibly better situation while also acknowledging that's like, yeah, millionaire at 28, We got there that quickly because I started a business that ended up becoming successful. You know?
0: Well, I'll say this. One of the things I tell people all the time is, first of all, one, yes, I make seven figures a year take home. Like, I'm not talking about, like, my business obviously makes multiple, but like, as take home Tiffany, I make seven Mm. figures. Yeah. I live off of about a hundred thousand, give or take maybe 150. So I tell people all the time, you actually got to be a millionaire. To be okay, meaning that like, so that one, I want you to think like, I'm still wearing my targets best, but the truth is preschool teacher Tiffany was on track to also be financially secure. Totally. You know, I was making uh, at my peak, I was making between 50 or $60,000 a year, you know, and I was like, I was really. I'm mindful. I was renting this really cute, like, house with my sister, so I had a roommate. And then I saved up like thirty thousand, and I was able to put a down payment on a condo. And then I, I, I still rented out to my sister, which helped significantly with the mortgage. I had saved, and when I was in college, my last year in college, I saved like twenty five hundred or three or four thousand dollars, and I got myself like a little car. So I was, and I was saving. You know, I was maxing out my 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 403B because I was a teacher, you know, and I was learning to invest. So preschool teacher Tiffany would have still been financially secure. And by now, maybe as a preschool teacher, I would have been making maybe 80 or 90, give or take, because it's about years in. So I just say all that to say, you know, when I teach financial education, it's not from the space of get like me, make millions, because one... You don't even necessarily need to, but it is that no matter where you are, you can reach what I like to call financial wholeness, which is a solid financial background where you have these 10 components of your financial life, budgeting, savings, debt, credit, investing, insurance, net worth, estate planning. You have these core financial things in place where you and your family will be more than okay. And for people who do want to start businesses, you know. That's why I mentor because there are women who are like, I actually do want to take the leap. I do want to start a business. It's not guaranteed you're gonna grow wealthy with a business, but you know, certainly it can fast track you.
1: Yeah. So in our research, we learned that you said you felt more complete
0: before achieving financial independence. Yeah. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Well, because when I was a so when I was a now I'm I'm a hundred percent financially whole, but when I was a preschool teacher, I was on it, right? So like financial is budgeting savings um debt credit learning to earn, investing uh net worth insurance, your financial team and estate planning those are the ten components and when I was a preschool teacher, I was rocking out those ten components based upon my salary so like my dad would say he just said this to me the other day he's the king of metaphors you cut your coat according to your size you know and so so I was you know so for a preschool teacher, Estate planning looked like, you know, I was like 22, 23 when I first started that my mom was my beneficiaries on my bank accounts and things. That's estate planning, you know? And so, so when I started to make money, those 10 components, I was still living those 10 components as if I was making my forty fifty thousand $50,000 a year. And not like what I was making as this like budding, you know, like millionaire at the time. I had this term life insurance policy for $300,000 to cover my condo if something would have happened to me. But now I'm like, so you have way more real estate now. You don't have enough, you know, that if something were to happen to cover. I didn't have like a, the financial team I needed for where I was as this budding millionaire. I had the financial team I had when I was making 60,000, but not, I needed a financial planner that worked with people who have wealth. Right. So that's the thing that it was like it, there was a gap of maybe four or five years where I was not, although I had money, I didn't have financial wholeness in that, you know, I had a budget and I didn't have any debt, but it's like, girl, you don't have your team, your estate plan. Is not where it ought to be. The way you're invested doesn't make sense for where you are now. And so it took me a little while, but now, you know, I am fully financially whole where it's like my coat is cut exactly to according to my size of where I am now. And now I know that when it's next time for me to elevate to the next level, because I can sense that it's coming financially, you know, that I know that like I have, you have to adjust these components of the financial wholeness scale to adjust to where you are now.
1: Yeah. And that's super applicable to anybody listening. Also applicable to me where I'm even doing a mental checklist in my head where I'm going, oh, yep, haven't updated that since I was making different money in 2018, 2019. Okay, (laughs) probably about time to do that. Well, and it's proof that even like financial experts like us, like it's really difficult to keep on track of all of these financial tasks. Right. And to like keep doing that. So. I joke all the time. There's mistakes I make about money even now as someone who writes and speaks and coaches about money for a living. Like there's, there's things that, you know, are on my to-do list still all the time that I'm either avoiding or just like haven't had time to do. Cause I say doctors make the worst patients, right? Right. Right. What is it? Cobbler, cobbler shoes, right? What is it? I don't Have know. holes yeah. in it or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Right. Yep. Totally. Another accomplishment and exciting thing since you last came on the show, Mm -hmm. your law got passed, which is so fucking cool. Can you quickly sum up what the law is and what the process was for getting it passed? Because it's actually something that we've started to explore here at Her First 100K is like using our voice to to affect policy. So talk to me about that.
0: It's called the Budget Needs the Law A1414. And it is the laws to make financial education mandatory for middle school students in the state of New Jersey. And so how it came about is a woman she's an assembly woman now, Angela V. McKnight, used to take some of my classes when I taught at the United Way Financial Education at the United Way for the community. She is just like so community based someone suggested she run for office of Jersey City, and she won. but she reached out to me right away because we stayed connected. It was like, I want. To, to really work on education laws. And I'm reaching out to people I know who care. And I want to get a law passed about financial education. And I said, well, New Jersey already has a law in place, a weak one, but still a law in place for high school students. But I think it should start sooner. I think it should start in elementary school and middle school. So what happens is, is that you have to connect with a lawmaker, you know, or some, you know, someone who can help to, like, whether it's an assemblywoman or, like, whoever, your senator, someone who is going to be able to to craft this kind of, like, pre-bill, you know? Um, and then what they do is they kind of, like, they have to find someone who's going to sponsor. So if you're smart, like, let's just say uh, assemblywoman V. McKnight, she's a Democrat, but she also looked across the aisle to say, hey, would you want to sponsor this bill, too? That way, when it's ca- time for voting, we're all in agreement. And so she did that. But then you also have to pass through what they call committee. Um, and this was the education committee. So these are people who kind of have a say like, oh, yes, no. And so there was a little bit of pushback as uh, elementary school too young. And so that happened. And then it goes to the House and gets voted on. And then it went to the Senate of your state to get voted on. And then it went to the governor. And at the time, the governor, uh, Governor Christie, did not sign it into law because he. Wow, I'm shocked. I know. Because he's the He anyway. sucks. <laughs> But thankfully, so we went back. You have to literally, our governor now, Governor Murphy. So when he came into office the next year, you have to literally go through the same process again. And unfortunately, that's when they really pushed back on the elementary school side and they only let the middle school side pass through which I was like, fine, whatever. And he signed it. So that was awesome. And so that's really what it takes is that working with, you know, find your local lawmaker and say, hey, this is something that is important to me. And like Angela would say, hey, you know, get all the dream catchers to send an email to this person so they can see how many people are you know, you know, this is this is important to them. So we would do that. And sometimes I would go actually to the, you know, like the Senate floor, House, and then I would I would testify to say this is why this is so important. And so it was honestly it was awesome to see. And I'm working on something now because the appraisal process in New Jersey is inherently racist. Right. And we talked so, about that in the first episode. Yeah. yeah. And so I said at first I was complaining. I was like, it's not like I can write a law. And I was actually talking to Angela. She's like, yeah we can. I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> like oh wait so that's like you know so there is something in where we're like I think it's I don't know if it's in the bill stage yet or it's like pre-bill but you know before the pandemic happened we were working on on that because um or during the pandemic because I myself was a victim of an appraiser under appraising my my property and when you think of the racial wealth gap think about that like for most people, their property is where the majority of their wealth is housed, if you own a home or, you know, you own property. So if you tell me my $500,000 property is worth $250,000, you have cut my net worth in half, Right. you know? And then think about that t- Tiffany times millions of other Tiffany's. And then you're like, well, how come this community doesn't have any money? Um, If you're undervaluing our property, you know, and then we're not paid equitably at work, so it's like the things that we own are worth less and then we're also paid less. Of course there's a racial wealth gap. So at least in the state of New Jersey, at least as it relates to housing and homes and how they're appraised, you know, we're working on making that illegal to appraise in a way that would underappraise value um underappraise properties of people of color.
1: Let us know when that starts becoming a bill and we will advocate our communities to support it I love as well. That.
0: Thank you. Yeah another
1: exciting update for you. You had a documentary on Netflix come out. I know it can feel sometimes when we're watching any sort of reality TV or like reading articles about money, watching YouTube videos about money, there's this feeling of like, okay, well, they can do that, but I can't for whatever reason. Like, okay, that's person's, that's their reality. But I have student debt or I have, you know, I have, I have a different financial situation than them. What do you hope that someone takes from your advice specifically on the
0: documentary? I have to say, I was really pleased with the way it came out with Netflix because it's called Get Smart with Money. Because I was afraid, I knew I showed up with kindness, so that's one. Because, but I wasn't sure, because you don't let you see, you know, until like a couple days before. Right, the edit. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, please, but everyone else was super kind. So I hope the biggest thing that take you take away is that you can relate to someone there, like, I loved Ariana, who was a dream catcher, and she was the woman who I helped. Cause there were, like, four other, like, people or couples that were struggling with their finances. And then four, it was it four, one, two, three. I think, yeah, three. I
1: think or you four. were the fourth, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I three think it was other. Four total. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then three other financial experts that helped them, like Mr. Money Mustache, Paula Pant, um, Ross Mac. And so with what I hope people took away is that the biggest struggle that Ariana was having was her mindset. She was filled with so much shame. I mean, the way she used to talk about herself, like on and off camera, about the mistakes she made. I mean, we would just cry sometimes, the both of us together, because I'm a big baby. If you cry, I cry. And so, because I was like, Ariana, you didn't kick anybody's puppy. Yeah. You know, like, you made financial mistakes because you didn't have the knowledge. Right. You're trying your best. Yes. Yeah. And she was just like, because she was a wife. She had these two beautiful little kids. And she was just like, I just feel like I'm failing everyone. I'm failing myself. I'm a bad person. So it... I guess the thing that I was so proud about was that afterward, so Ariana did the best because, you know, that's what we do around here. She, like, saved the most and paid off the most debt than everyone. Not that it was a competition, but you know. But it was, <laughs> yeah. But what the, my proudest moment was afterward, she and I did, like, a like a like um an IG Live recap so people could see her, and they asked, how are you? And she had gotten, like, um I don't know, she had, like, got injured, like, broke her foot or something, so she had been out of work for a little bit. And she said her, some of her credit card debt came back, not all of it, but some some of it. And I was like, how are you feeling? She was like, honestly, I don't feel bad about it because I already know here's how to pay it. I almost wept tears of joy because I don't think she saw like, that was not you before. It would have been, I'm terrible. I'm bad. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad person. It was like, I already know the steps to take in order to remedy this. It was just, I was temporarily out of work, but now I'm back. Right.
1: And and something out of my control happened. Okay. Like, couldn't do anything about it. But I can control as much as much as I can of like navigating my way out of it. Like, amazing.
0: That was amazing. And to me, that was the point for me is not the money. The point for me is I want you changed so you can make better choices for you. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And I, I I mean, I wrote obviously a book and then the entire first chapter i've talked about many times on this show is like i, I, I said that so weird i'm like i wrote a book obviously <laughs> no but like the entire first chapter is about the emotions of money and the psychology of money and i know you and i share that perspective of like i can't teach you how to pay off debt i can't teach you how to get a budget together because you will sabotage yourself later if you don't understand all of the narratives you're believing either about yourself or about money or about people with money and it's like you have to start there and that's the messy fucking work that like is not sexy to show and that's one of the things that i thought was so interesting because we're starting to kind of you know talk about pitching tv shows and and that sort of thing and and like it it is almost really it's it's a really interesting concept right to show of course money coaching it's so necessary but it's not like queer eye where like they get a new house like they get a new living room they get a new haircut they get new fashion and suddenly they're like a different person right like these things take a long time So for you, was that, was that a little bit of a struggle and like, how do we portray this like change if we're just like, yeah, it's not like they got, highlights like they have to co-pay off their debt you know it was
0: a year like that's the thing they tape with us for like a year and some change because you're right you're not in six weeks you're not likely to pay off sixty thousand dollars that's why i think she paid off so it was like a year and some change and so that is the challenge with financial shows because you know i've definitely gotten had like major meetings and that's everyone's kind of like how do we do how do we show the transformation at the end without it taking two years um and so that's really the challenge um but I'm glad that, you know, Netflix knew that it was going to take time and then invested that year so we can pour into, you know, our person. She and I are still cool. She lives in Jersey. And, yeah, she's just awesome. And so, yeah, if you haven't watched Get Smart With Money, you ought to, even if you don't relate to Ariana, there are three other people and there's a couple there that you might say, wow, that's me. Okay. You know, I could use that advice.
1: A lot has changed for you in the past couple years. You've had a lot of really exciting career and life milestones and unfortunately some really devastating ones as well. I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up. You lost your partner and I think, uh, from, you know, talks with you personally and also from, from interviews you've given, it really changed the trajectory of your life Yeah, as vulnerable as you're willing to be. Can you talk to me and dive into that a little bit? And I think uh, many people can relate to just a really difficult few years with a lot of loss and a lot of grief and just trying to, like, wade their way through it all.
0: Yeah, it was it was really hard because it was so sudden. My husband, Jarrell, was, he was only 41. It was an aneurysm. Literally, he called me and was like, babe, I got this rocking headache. I'm going to go to the emergency room. And if you knew Jarrell, you knew that, like, that was so him. Like, you know, some men don't like to go to the doctor. He went to the doctor for everything. I used to be like, it's just your pinky toe. You never know. <laughs> so when he said, oh, I'm gonna have a headache, I'm going to the emergency room, I like slightly was like, okay. And I remember I was supposed to do a speaking engagement for this major bank in the city and the car was waiting outside for me because like, you know, I'd gotten ready. And something said, you should go to the emergency room. You know, even though it's a headache, Something just doesn't, you know, sit right. I called uh, my admin. And I was like, you know, tell them the bank I'm not coming, even though like literally I was the, the speaker, but I was just like, no, like nothing, you know, whatever they could take their money back. This is more important. And so I actually asked the driver downstairs because I came downstairs. I guess I was frantic. I didn't, I, you know, I sometimes you you're like your inner nose before your outer nose. Yes. So I was frantic and I must have looked frantic because when I came down, I called the, the driver downstairs and said, Hey, you know, I'm actually not going to, go, you know, I'm, my husband's in the hospital and I'm just gonna go, you know, go see him. And when I came downstairs, I mean, I must have looked disheveled, and the guy, when I saw him, he was still there. I was like, bruh, I'm not going to the event. He's like, I know, I'm gonna take you to the hospital. And I remember I was like, what? He was just like, you shouldn't go by yourself, you shouldn't drive, and I was just like, I I didn't, like I said, he must have just heard in my voice. I, I, could, I could not have driven. Um, and yeah. I, though I did not know that at the time, so he went with me to the hospital. And then he waited there, which I'm like, he's such like, I, I still to this day cannot remember his name, but he was like an angel. He waited there until my family came, you know? And wow. at the time, we're if just aren't like- If you are listening, good sir. Wow, yes. thank you. That's Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, and I just thought to myself, like, you know, at the time, you know, you're worried, but I wasn't super worried, you know? And so, I mean, he was talking, you know, he was just like, my head hurt so much. And, you know, and so a, f- a few years prior, Jarrell had had an aneurysm that he tripped and he hit his head. And when he went to the doctor, they're like, okay, well, there's nothing wrong. Like, you know, you hit your head, there's nothing wrong. But we do see this kind of like latent aneurysm. And so for those of you who don't know, an aneurysm is like, I want you to think of like a balloon. You know, the balloons they used to make the, the animals, they're long and skinny, you know? And so your vein is like similar to that like animal balloon before it's blown up. And imagine, you know how a balloon pops because it's usually like, you can kind of tell the the section of the balloon that's going to pop because it's slightly raised because there's a weak spot in the balloon. And so that's what happens. That's what, that aneurysm is that weak spot in the balloon that's your vein. And so if you do not, the blood is flowing back and forth, back and forth all the time. And if you do not clip it or reinforce it, then that, your vein will pop and then the blood will just come gushing out. And most people die within like minutes because you don't even know what's happening. Because aneurysms are silent killers typically. You don't have headaches. You don't have anything. And so he had had him hitting his head before was not why he had the aneurysm. He just tripped and fell. And they were like, wait a minute. Did you know you have an aneurysm? They did surgery right away. He was out of work for a few months, full recovery. It was fine. So it didn't even click to me when he said he had a headache that it could be another aneurysm. Because that's how fine he was. You know, and so when we got there, they were like, you know, we think it might be another aneurysm. And honestly, at the time, I was like, okay, been here before. It's going to be scary surgery. He's going to be home bitching and moaning. That's fine. (laughs) And then he's going to be fine because he was fine before. Because even the doctor was like, the fact that you're talking, you're, you're like, the doctor said, you look better than me. Like, you know, like, you'll be fine. They did the surgery the next morning. They called me and said it went great. And I said, great, I'm on my way. You know, I got there and he was like, he wasn't really himself. You know, he didn't even recognize me. He was like really lethargic. And I'm like, is he still on anesthesia? I thought it's you know, it's been about an hour. And they were like, no, he shouldn't be slurring. He shouldn't be. And so they rushed and um, he was still bleeding. And they raced him into surgery and that was it. So he was like here on a Monday and gone like on Thursday. It was like, so it's still so crazy to me. Like that, like, you know, he wasn't some 95 year old. No, my dad is in his 80s and you know that it's coming because he's in his 80s. But you don't suspect that your partner who's 41 is not going to be here just like that. It was just, I mean, I'm still reeling. You know, I don't know what I I don't know what people do without therapy because that's what saved my life. I just, but I will say that the other thing that helped significantly is the financial foundation that we set. I don't know what we would have done because one, I never. If I'm being honest, I was one of the financial educators. I was like, ah, eh, financial advisor. I guess, girl, you know. But the truth is, if I had not Jarell and I started working with Anjali, my financial advisor, to certified financial planner, wealth planner. She also has her CPA, which I love because she's a like you know she is an accountant, you know by trade as well. And so she works helps me with my business as well as us personally. We've been working with her for like three years, and she we were about. 80 to 90% all the way together. And when Jarelle passed away, you know, I called her within like a week or whatever. And I just, you know, she wants you to super kind. This is why I love working with women. And she created like a list for me that I did not know. She met up with all my other financial team, my CFO, my attorney, my accountant, And they worked together behind the scenes as to not bother me to get my... What does the financial life look like for Tiffany now? She would only tell me bits and pieces, like, you need to call his job because he had a pension. And you're the beneficiary as well as your stepdaughter. And this is how much it is and what they're going to be sending. She would just give me bits and pieces, like things I could not have known, you know? And so, like... Very digestible as opposed to... Yeah, wow. And so, like... But she also... Got like there were things like you know because the first year and a half of working with her, she just kept asking us for homework. Bring me this. Bring me that. Bring me that. You know, like oh gosh, and but thank God because she knew where everything was, and so she was able to tell me what to do, who had what, how much. I can make that call for you. I can, you know. And it just was. I I cannot express to you. I we w- I would still be digging my way out. You know, because candidly, our last conversation with her, Jarrell passed away in November of 2021. We had a meeting with her in October and she was like, you guys are dragging your feet on these wills. Because, you know, you're like, I'm young. And I was like, okay, 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 we're going to get it done. So he passed, he did not have a will. But because we had done the other financial plans, I knew exactly what he wanted and beneficiary forms were in place. All these other forms were in place where, although a will would have been, Helpful, it wasn't as necessary because we had done just about 80% of everything else. And I'm just so grateful because I get to just miss my husband. I don't get to miss my husband and my house and the income. and, You know what I mean? Like so many people, women like later would hit me up and just say, my husband died and I lost my house too. And I can't afford the car. And I don't know how I'm going to survive. And that And is I don't not... know
1: the logins to anything. And I don't know what investment decisions he was making. And you know? I knew everything.
0: When I say, I mean, the key is like with your partner, you know, if you're not partnered, your your sibling is your partner, your bestie, whoever, someone at the very least, two keys that will help to make sure everyone has everything they need is your, the password to your laptop and the password to your phone. Because anything that I didn't know, you know, they're going to send, hey, you can reset the password. We're going to send you a link to your phone. So make sure if that you keep that person's phone going at least a year when they're not here because it will unlock everything. um, And then their laptop as well. But I already had like all of the access. So something that helped too is something happens to your loved one. It's always good to have, you know, at least one joint account. We had a joint checking, a joint savings and then our own checking and savings. So I was able to transfer that money over from his personal savings and checking to the joint, then the joint to me. Because once the bank finds out your person is not here, they're going to lock your money out. It's I mean, it's just going to be a nightmare to get it. But it's not illegal to do that. You know, yeah. like a person can transfer money to themselves and then you can pull it out. So that was one of the things that Anjali told me. Do that now because within a few days, they'll know that he's not here. So you don't want to have to worry about trying to like unlock that that money. Because we have a, a a bonus daughter, and this is money that I wanted to set aside for her. Make sure your name is on everything. One of the mistakes that we made is that we bought a city-owned property maybe like five years ago, and the city, for whatever reason at the time, said both of your names, like the the property contract that you're signing, you you can't both be on it. Which I was like, why? But he was, they were like, just go get the title changed the next week. Totally forgot. Mm. So. That was five years ago. So we renovated this property, put all this money into it, was going to rent it out. And then it turns out only his name was on the property because I totally forgot in the state of New Jersey, if you are legally partnered, meaning like um, husband, husband, wife, and wife, you know, husband, wife, if you are legally partnered and both of you are on the the title of a property, you actually don't inherit a property because the state of New Jersey said both of you own a hundred percent. So that means Jarrell passed away and the house that I live in now, we don't have a mortgage or anything on this whole house, bought it um, out in cash. So when he's not here, I own 100% of this house. So did he. So I don't actually inherit it. I don't have to worry about inheritance tax. It's one of the ways that they let you. But because of the other house, only his name is on it. Then that meant it went like basically 50% to me, 50% to his daughter. But we're inheriting even though it's like, damn it, that's my house. I mean, I don't mind the part of splitting it with his daughter. But now, you you know, you worry about like, now I, you know, now there's potentially for me to pay taxes on a house that was my house as well. You know, so that was like a mistake that we'd made along with not having the will. Thankfully, he had an identical twin and he has Terrell, Jarrell and Terrell, which is such a twin thing. <laughs> and so Terrell, who had been looking to purchase a home, and I said, you know, do you want to buy your brother's house? Which he was like, I, I would love nothing better. I sold it to him at, you know, market rate. And then I put the rest of the money up for um, my stepdaughter, Alyssa, for college. She doesn't have to worry about college at all or our house after. And that's what we wanted for her, you know. And so it just like those are some of the financial choices and just some of the personal choices that I'm so glad that we did that we took a ton of pictures. Jarrell's mother passed away when he was in his 20s and he would always say, I wish I had more picture and video of her. And so he made a concerted effort because he was like a secret vo- vlogger. I had no idea. His phone was filled with pictures and video. He would just be like, Hey, it's me, Jarrell. Just cleaned the car today. <laughs> Tiffany made salmon. I'm so excited. Life is good. And I'm like, what is, <laughs> but it was the sweetest thing because I never, I, if I need to hear Jarrell say, I love you. I can watch him say that. If Aww. I need him to h- hear him say, like, you know, say my name, I can hear him say, if I need to hear him laugh, jo- there are, thousands of pictures and video in his phone. And so every time someone came to the hospital when we knew he wasn't going to make it, I would take their phone. Google Photos is the best. I would find a picture. I said, like, do you have a picture of him in your phone? Yes. I would find their picture. And then I would, you with Google, you can say, find this face in your picture, in your photo album, and add it to this joint album. And so there's like five, so pictures I'd never seen before when he was like, Six years old up until 41. And so I, we have like 5,000 like pictures, videos, and it's just the most beautiful thing that when I'm really missing him, I watch the videos, I look at the pictures. I'm so grateful that like we have those, you know, like candid video and picture of him, you know, right away afterward, I made sure I got my will done. We had been working on a trust. My trust is now done. Actually, I'm just waiting for the paperwork to come so I can um, get it notarized. Because if something happened to me, I I want to make sure that my family is not scrambling. I got one of these fireproof bags um, where I keep all that paperwork because my dad was like, oh, I keep everything at the safe deposit box at the bank. I'm like, yeah, but the bank is not going to let me Get it Because I have to have the papers to say I'm, you know, I I am the trustee. And so I'm like, I got them. My parents, uh, they, their will was so old. It said I was like six years old in it. So I forced them to update their will, you know. And so now all that stuff is in a fireproof bag for like 20 bucks off of Amazon and, and mine as well. I, I talked candidly with my family. Jarrell was an organ donor, although it was not on his license. Because just the month of prior, Alyssa was asking him, Daddy, how come you don't? have organ donor on your license and he was like oh I just I'm suspicious I don't want people taking my organs you know (laughs) but he was like if something happens to me you know you can donate whatever organs you want because he was the most generous the kindest I mean like there is nobody that Drell did not look after from the neighbors across the street like the day after he passed away this little old lady came to the house and was like um is this the house where that my, my husband was 6'6, six, six, where that tall gentleman passed away? And I thought she was lost. And I was just like, Yeah, she was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, he used to help me rake my leaves and, and mow the lawn. And I had no idea. But that was so him. You know, meaning I can I can just imagine him riding down the street, seeing this little old lady raking her leaves and him saying, No, 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 no. Let me pull over. You know, like, do you want me to I'll come every week and do it? But that was him. I mean, when we his home going had hundreds of of people, It could have had hundreds more if I made it even more open just because he helped so many people. He was just the most generous, kind, like, just so loving. I was so well-loved, like, so well-loved, you know? I don't even know how he managed. Everyone felt special. And I'm like, how are you looking after all these people? You know, I was like, this is why you didn't have any money. Because I was always <laughs> like, babe, we cannot give away everything. Um <laughs> uh, But yeah, so it just it's 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 the loss is not just mine it's the loss to the community people still hit me up and just say like you know your your husband was my was my work son he made sure I ate mm. you know or your husband like I used to sleep on his couch when I was like I got kicked out of my mom's house and just so we just we all just miss him so much but I'm really just grateful of the financial foundation that we created so I get to just do that I took two months off and went to Bali for two months after he passed away you You know, like, I couldn't have done that if I didn't have this financial foundation because I could not manage. I was like, I need to get away from everyone and everything. I cannot manage here in New Jersey. And so I was able to take two months off and then another six months off of work and let my team do whatever they needed to do to support the business. And so I could not do that without a strong financial foundation. And what it brought home, Tori, to me was that, like, these lessons that we're teaching, it's not really about so you can get rich whatever it's this yeah it's when when real shit happens you and your family can still be okay so yeah
1: i don't really know what to say other than i am deeply deeply sorry i appreciate you being so vulnerable and transparent that you felt safe enough to share thank you i have not had anyone super close to me die but when you know uncles aunts you know have passed away when my grandparents have died you just realize like Logistically speaking, there's just beyond the emotional grief, there is just something so reassuring to know, okay, they have directions in place of what they would like for their body for, you know, any sort of ceremony, we know what to do with their property with their, you know, with their stuff, with their money. When you're grieving emotionally, that is the stuff that you don't want to have to worry about. And it truly is the greatest gift you can give your family who will be in a really dark, terrible place to just be like, yep, we handled all of the financial stuff. I handled all the financial stuff. So you don't have to worry about me.
0: Yeah. And I think people think, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a millionaire. My husband was make, he never made more than $60,000 a year. Yeah. And most of the things that he put in place were before we got together so this man who is making sixty thousand dollars a year i'm talking about the insurance policies the beneficiaries all of that stuff was there before we got together so it's not from a place of like so he left his daughter more than enough to pay for college and a house beyond that before we got together so i just want you to understand that this wasn't millionaire tiffany truthfully when we worked with anjali she was like you're more of a mess tiffany drug got his stuff together You know, and so I just want you to know that you don't it's not you don't have to make a whole lot to leave your family like, you know, not destitute when you're not here. And so I just like I just wanted to like reiterate that, that, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't a financial educator. He was a super for the city of Newark, you know, and he was not wealthy. And yet and still he left us better financially. I think that's the most important part because I think people think like, well, that's because you have money, but it wasn't me. Honestly, I was so proud of him, you know, when I, you know, once everything kind of like rolled out and I was like, wow, babe, like, it's like you knew because like, look what you've done for us. You know, everyone's better. I was like, your brother has a house. Alyssa will have him when she graduates. College is done. Your sister got something. I'm like, he just made sure they were all better as a result.
1: Yeah. Taken care of.
0: Yeah.
1: I want to be able to end this interview on a lighter note. You're in your rich auntie era. I am. And I fucking love that for you. (laughs) What's been life-giving about embracing this and what's been difficult about rich auntie era? (laughs)
0: So rich auntie era is like, so I'm 43. So my husband and I, we were trying to have a baby before he passed away. It didn't happen. I'm not having kids now. I'm like, I got my baby. Her name is Alyssa and she's 16 going on 25. And then I have my nieces and my nephew. And if any more come, those are my babies. So I said, I will forever be a rich auntie, you know? And what that just means is that I am leaning into the tangible and intangible things that growing wealth can provide. Mm. You know, I've already taken care of the safety and security. I paid off my parents' house years ago. You know, like I told you, the properties I own, I don't, I don't have any mortgages on. But I'm like, like I just, I took the whole month of March off because I can. And you know, for business, and they know, don't hit me about anything unless it's Oprah or Michelle Obama. That's living my rule. (laughs) Literally (laughs)
1: told my team very similar (laughs) things. I took all of February off, and I'm like, hi, you call me if something is burning on fire (laughs) that you cannot fix yourself or if Oprah calls. Yes, that's Yeah,
0: (laughs) Right? And then, so I took the whole month off and then the first half of the month I spent in Egypt, which was so beautiful, life-changing, stepping into a history book that you can actually feel and touch and see. And the second half, I spent walking, reading, talking to family and friends. Like, I just got back because it's now April. And so I plan on taking that three times a year a full month off and I thought that I would make less as a result. We're not, we're making more. Actually just had a call with my team about the Budgetnista, not so much my online school, but I was just like, wait, what? These projections are insane and I'm not working one fourth of what I used to. I used to overwork and overwhelm as practice. That was just what I did. I don't do that anymore. Jarrell, my, my therapist calls it the gift of grief. It brought clarity that I'm not interested in overworking and overwhelming that I want space. I want freedom. And so for rich auntie, like I, I, I love the house that I live in now, but Jerrell and I renovated it from the top to the bottom. So every area of the house, it's like a monument, you know? And so I want to keep this house and my, my, I'm inviting my sister and her two kids to live here, but I bought myself a condo, this beautiful 1920s condo. Huge, twenty eight hundred square feet, all one floor, four and a half bedrooms, three and a half bath. It's beautiful. Huge picture frame window that frames New York City skyline. The sunsets are out of this world. I mean, sunrises are out of it. Just so I bought it. It was five twenty. Purchased it cash, even though, like I said, my my financial advisor was like, I don't advise purchasing it cash, just because I know I could put it into the market and make more. But I needed it for my own. I don't want a mortgage. Uh, plus I put plenty into the market. So, so I'm like, I make seven figures a year. We good. Um, and so that's what it is. It's just leaning in. It's going on vacations. It's eating well. It's hanging out with family and friends whenever I want to. It's working not even one fourth of the time, but making two or three times what I made before. It's leaning into the fact that I built this strong foundation and I, you know, I, I've, I've always given back, but now more than ever, I have been uh, mentoring you know and so like i've always like you know when you like i have a book coming out i was like ooh say less let me tell you all that i learned that they're not going to tell you so helpful you know so helpful but i was like i want to do this in a more like concrete space so i started mentoring like i always mentored i have about maybe 10 mentees that i talk to regularly on the phone but i get asked all the time so i started like officially mentoring i started this mentor platform via patreon um where i mentor like women in business in particular you could have just started. You could be 10 years in business. You could be whatever. It's just 10 bucks a month, but it's an outlet for me to be able to pour into women all the lessons that I've learned. You know, I made about $40 million in business since I started most of it in the last like five years. You know, I have a New York Times bestseller. I have my award-winning podcast on um, Brown Ambition. I've done successful Kickstarters. I launched a children's book. I've self-published. you got laws passed. Yes. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. So, but I say all that to say because I was like all of this knowledge... You know, so if you're like, hey, I want to learn how to do this. this I'm like, I likely to have done it and not just done it. Like, I believe in good, great and unicorn. So unicorn is the next level that I my, I call my team, the unicorn squad, because they make magic happen every day. Um, So I always operate from a space of unicorn. Like if it's good. OK, that's great. OK, no, we don't do great. We do unicorn. And so in all those areas, I have reached the peak, you know, and I'm like, now I just want to share that knowledge. And so... Yeah, I've got this site. Well, it's Patreon, com, And there's about mm, maybe 1,500 mentees in there. And so, yeah, I go live once a month with them. But they do challenges with each other. They're doing this um first sale challenge for, for mentees who are just starting out. And so they're like helping each other get their first sale because you know how hard that is. Like, you know, their first kind of like a little bit of income. That's to me, Rich Auntie Era is enjoying life but pouring into other people and, you know, like, you know, enjoying the money a little bit more because I was never really good at that. And so I'm looking forward to like what life brings next. I'm certainly not chasing. You know, people ask me, are you going to have a show? And I'm like, mm, if it comes up, but I'm not chasing. If I don't, I'll, you know, I'll still be rich. If I do, okay, I'll still be rich. <laughs> you know, so for me, I just love, I want peace peace. I want serenity. I want some adventure with travel and I want whatever good thing is laid before me. I, you know, I don't want to be a hindrance to that. And I want to pour into other people, especially other women.
1: I am so honored to know you. So honored to learn from you. Thank you for being here. People, please get, get good with money. It is
0: so good. The budgetnista.com question mark, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where else can people find you? So, I'm the budget on all the platforms. You know, the, the, I barely, I'm not, you know, Tori's the TikTok queen. I talk, I don't tick. I just, you know, I'm like, <laughs> but I'm the budget nista on TikTok, on, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. But yes, the budget my favorite part of the site for the is yes, you can get my book, Get it With Money, but we have a tools and, and resources page that people find really helpful. And if you want me to mentor you and you got 10 bucks a month, although the price is gonna be doubling soon, but if you got 10 bucks a month, it's my mentor, Tiffany.com.
1: I love it. Thank you, truly. Thank you.
0: Now you're welcome. Thank you a million times over to Tiffany Alice for
1: joining us. I know these episodes where we speak really candidly about loss and death and grief can be really difficult, but it's so important to have things like a will uh, and an estate plan in place, life insurance, all of these things that feel scary in the moment because you're talking about death and it's really uncomfortable to think about people dying. But it's so necessary. I speak from both personal and professional experience. It's so necessary to, to have these housekeeping things in order so that you can really give your loved ones this gift. It's one of the most giving and unselfish things we can do is make sure that our loved ones have a plan put together and are taken care of should they lose us. And I hope after hearing Tiffany's story, you'll really consider it. We'll link in the show notes down below resources of recommended life insurance partners, more episodes about that, as well as more Resources about getting an estate plan together. And no, it doesn't cost a lot of money, and no, it doesn't take you a lot of time, but it's so important. I know I sound like a broken record, but truly so important for your financial wellness and health. You can learn more about Tiffany at thebudgetnista.com and she has an incredible book called Get Good With Money that I own is on my shelf and is a great use of your money and time. We'll be sure to link her Netflix show, the book, all the things in our show notes. Thank you as always for being here, Financial Feminist. Thank you not only for your support of the show, but for listening to episodes that are so helpful and also vulnerable and holding space for that. We so appreciate you listening and we'll chat with you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Sharice Wade, Alina Helzer, Paulina Isaac, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, and Amanda Lafew. Research by Arielle Johnson, audio engineering by Austin Fields, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolfe, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at financialfeministpodcast.